Hi, this is Elliot Fishman, and welcome to our latest vodcast. And this is on a new topic, and I titled this Spontaneous Hemorrhage in the Abdomen, and I called it Pearls. And actually, um, I came up with this little talk based on some articles that were just published in the literature, and I did a little bit more investigation, did a little more thinking, and voila, we got this talk. So first of all, what is spontaneous hemorrhage? Spontaneous abdominal hemorrhage is defined as the presence of intra-abdominal hemorrhage from a non-traumatic and a non-iatrogenic cause. So it's not a biopsy. It's not somebody who was in an MVA. You bled. What's the reason? And a couple of good articles, this article by uh, Federally, Knowledge of the Common CT Manifestations of the Various Causes of Abdominal Hemorrhage, allows their accurate diagnosis and has direct impact on clinical decision-making. And in that article, Dr. Federally and his associates put things into four categories. Uh, visceral, which means major organs, GYN, coagulopathy, and vascular. So let's look at a few of these possibilities. One, of course, is something we speak about in other talks, like on the liver, is a rupture of an underlying tumor. Hepatic adenoma, I always think of first, but hepatomas, some articles up to 25%. Rarely lymphoma, and then HELP syndrome. HELP is hemolysis, elevated liver enzymes, and low platelet count. Okay, and that's, you know, in the uh, postpartum setting. <clears throat> and hepatic adenomas can be single, can be multiple. Once they rupture and bleed, you may not see the lesion. Here you can see the rupture and the subcapsular bleed, but you also see the second lesion in the right lobe of the liver near the uh, middle hepatic vein. Uh, another example uh, of bleeding within the liver. So my rule is spontaneous hepatic bleed, no trauma, no biopsy. Boom, hepatic adenoma will proven otherwise. If it's cirrhotic liver, you better think about the possibility of hepatoma. Of course, vascular processes are also something we consider, but tumors, hepatic adenoma versus hepatoma. Hepatic adenoma is my first choice. In the spleen, um, there are a number of causes. Patients who have underlying malignancies, leukemia, lymphoma, big splenomegaly can possibly bleed spontaneously. Infectious causes, mononucleosis, CMV infection, or other possibilities with mono, the one many of us think about. And patients who've had prior pancreatitis or prior splenic injury, uh, with even minor trauma or just a spontaneous rupture of the spleen can occur, and it's classic in patients who've had uh, prior uh, episodes of pancreatitis, usually multiple episodes. It's the same type of patient who gets splenic artery pseudoaneurysms. And just a good example, here's a nice case of CLL, massive splenomegaly. You can see the tumor infiltration of the spleen. You can see displacement of the stomach. There it is very nicely in coronal and in the... Uh, 3D mapping, and those are the type of patients with spontaneous bleed. Another example, subcapsular bleed, the spleen is large and enlarging because of the subcapsular bleed, high density. This is a patient with mononucleosis, had severe left upper quadrant pain. That's like a classic diagnosis for medical school. Now with the spleen, we also should mention vascular processes, aneurysms, but especially pseudoaneurysms. Aneurysms usually are incidental findings, while pseudoaneurysms usually present with symptoms. Splenic artery aneurysms is the third most frequent uh, common intra-abdominal aneurysm. Frequency will vary from 0.2 to 10.4%, being more common in women, particularly postpartum women, but also, although it's more common in women, it's more likely to rupture in male. Now, most cases of splenic artery aneurysms are due to atherosclerosis, though pregnancy, portal hypertension, post-liver transplant are all other predisposing causes. Now, splenic artery aneurysms under two synonyms, we tend not to worry. We tend to do a lot of watching.
On the other hand, splenic artery pseudoaneurysms are more uh, important, but what I mean to say is more dangerous. Most commonly due to prior episodes of pancreatitis, but can be due to prior trauma, post-operative complications, and occasionally peptic ulcer disease, though I really can't remember a case of that. The thing about splenic artery pseudoaneurysms, they present often acutely abdominal pain, melena, hematemesis, and pseudoaneurysms rupture in up to a little bit more than one-third of cases, and mortality then approaches 90%. Now, I'll share a couple examples. Severe upper quadrant pain, alcoholic, there you can see a pseudocyst, prior pancreatitis, but there's a pseudoaneurysm. This patient was very lucky, presented early. Here's one more set of images. And we, this was just a very nice example where this patient can be embolized and did fine. This next case was a physician who was exercising severe upper quadrant pain collapse, someone called 911. Couldn't figure out why. I did see the CT right after his initial episode, and I didn't see the pseudoaneurysm. But he had so much blood present, I think the blood tamponaded the pseudoaneurysm. He came up to Hopkins and... Um, you can see very nicely in this case, the pseudoaneurysm, there still is some fluid of blood around the left anterior pararenal space, very nicely seen. And just a very nice example of pseudoaneurysm, surgery versus embolization is really the only question. And this patient was very lucky because this easily could have ruptured and this patient could have exsanguinated. I mentioned pancreatitis, so let me show you just a couple examples. Big-time pancreatitis, there's a pseudoaneurysm. You see how it's bled into the pseudocyst or into the area that was a pseudocyst initially? Very, very classic finding. Now, one can also see with kidneys. We talk about typically tumors. The two most common are AML, angiomyelopoma, and renal cell carcinoma. But you also can see it with coagulopathy or with vasculitis. And you can see in this case, here's a case we had a couple weeks ago, huge bleed, left upper quadrant. You can see active extravasation, and this was spontaneous hemorrhage. And this patient, although you don't see it here, had an underlying renal cell carcinoma. So sometimes when there's so much bleeding present, you got to really be suspicious that there is a, um, a tumor there, though at times you may not see the tumor, which was the case in this example. Now, what else? Adrenal is another possibility. We talk about this particularly with anticoagulant therapy, though occasionally severe stress or sepsis can do it, and occasionally occult neoplasms, be it primary metastatic, can present with spontaneous hemorrhage. Most commonly, here's the appearance. The adrenal is round and hazy. Uh, remember, when it's bilateral, we talk about bilateral adrenal hemorrhage, and those patients become Addisonian. High density, perfectly oval, classic for hemorrhage. And we've spoken about that a bit more in the adrenal talk, and I'm just not going to go into great detail here, but just to make that possibility to think about. Another thing, spontaneous hemorrhage, OBGYN causes, rupture of an ectopic pregnancy. You, see, you can see a ring-enhancing lesion, massive blood, rupture of ovarian cyst, and I'll put HELP syndrome there. Look at this case. This is a great case. Severe abdominal pain. Look at this massive amount of blood that's seen in the patient's abdomen. You can see the, really the, from the left anexa where the ectopic pregnancy indeed was. Just a terrific case. Okay? What else? Obviously, vascular processes, abdominal aortic aneurysms can bleed, splenic artery aneurysms can bleed, hepatic artery aneurysms can bleed. So it's things to think about. Again, we talk about splenic artery, particularly related to pancreatitis, and also GDA or hepatic artery aneurysms related to pancreatitis. But just vasculitis in general can be something you think about. So that's kind of a good series of talks or explanations 
about uh, you know what can cause spontaneous hemorrhage and really give you a very nice differential diagnosis. Now, as long as I was speaking about the spleen, we saw a couple of cases at Hopkins while I was getting these talks together. And I want to make a few points about the spleen. Now, I'm sneaking the spleen in here, but let me make a few points. Spleen. Multiple lesions are not uncommon. They're usually benign. Again, you can think of lymphoma, leukemia, metastasis, melanoma. But low-density lesions without a febrile patient, without immunosuppressed patient, are most likely splenic hemangiomas. And as you can see from these images, they don't have the classic appearance of hemangiomas in the liver. Usually, occasionally they do. But you've got to think benign. Um, patient with Klippel-Trinani Weber, multiple hemangiomas, just incredible example of hemangiomas. And just to show you very nicely, uh, patient had a left pneumothorax, they get the cystic changes in the lung, lymphangiomyomatosis type appearance, very nicely seen here. Uh, another example, splenic hemangiomas replace the spleen. Pediatric patients, patients can be in failure. Uh, just very, very nice examples. And the spleen was large. Hemangioma is replacing essentially the entire spleen. Now, it's true there is an overlap. Here's splenic lymphoma. You know, um, can look the same, but the lesions aren't as cystic, aren't as well-defined. The patients typically have secondary symptoms as well. Um, you can have nodules that can be small. Here, there's cystic lesions with mural nodules. That's going to be malignancy, and that's typically lymphoma, often primary splenic lymphoma. Now, sometimes the fact when you see splenic lesions, look at the liver because it can be helpful. Though there are a number of things that affect both organs, from lymphoma to metastasis to infection to sarcoid. And I've shown you sarcoid in the past like this, looking directly like lymphoma. Here it is involving the liver and the spleen, usually patient female in their 30s or 40s with minimal symptoms. Rather than having widespread disease, this patient should really be sick. Or this example, beautiful case, extensive involvement of the spleen by sarcoidosis. And here it is again in the coronal view. And here it is again very nicely in volume rendered views. So you can see uh, just very impressive and again something to think about. At times it's not as many lesions but still multiple, often small, often miliary. Another example here. And just again, the appearances tend to be the same. Now sometimes you get lucky, there's chest involvement, there's the adenopathy, there's the interstitial disease. Sometimes it's easier to make the diagnosis. Other times I have to admit this case of sarcoid. Boy, even with the chest, with the nodes, how do you know it's not lymphoma? It's biopsy time. I mean, you could suggest it, you could think about it, but I tell you that case, or even this case, I showed you this a moment ago, it's hard with the right clinical history to convince me that's not gonna be lymphoma. So again, I've showed you a number of cases of sarcoid, and we see several of these cases a year. So I want you to be familiar with them. Now a couple just statistics. Age, 30 to 50, but again, lymphoma is often in that age group. African Americans, three times more frequently involved in uh, uh, whites. Pulmonary complications, the most common cause of death in sarcoid. And symptoms vary, fever, fatigue, weight loss, but again, that's the same symptoms you get with lymphoma or other malignancies. Sarcoid in the abdomen can involve almost any organ. And in fact, in the liver, up to 94% of patients have liver involvement if you look at the PATH. Although most patients are asymptomatic in that regard. Lesions may be solitary, but multiple is much more common as I showed you. Uh, patients who have liver involvement, about 69% had concurrent splenic lesions, and sarcoid is treated successfully with steroid therapy.
Now, in terms of a spleen, I showed you how you can have multiple lesions, less common solitary lesions. Spleen can be large or it can be normal sized. Now, the other thing that we talk about liver and spleen as in this case is infection. Candida, aspergillosis, those are two really good examples. Candida is the one we think about, but it's an immunosuppressed patient with fever and typically newly appearing lesions, often multiple. The kidneys can also be involved. The clinical history is what really makes the diagnosis. Again, you need to be aware of that, and then uh, you, you, know, you can really think about it. So with that, I've snuck on a little bit about the spleen because uh, we saw some interesting cases the day I was preparing this talk, and I thought I'd throw it in there. But again, focusing on spontaneous hemorrhage, again, it's something we all see in practice, and you really want to be able to help the clinician kind of nail down the specific pathologies. So with that, I'll wish you a great day and hope this talk was helpful. Thanks a lot.